Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, the antidote to quiet quitting. Speak with the author of Leading with Your Upper Brain about strategies for managers to get the best work from their staff while avoiding the risk of burnout in the process. Also this morning, more evidence of a growing emergency fund crisis in America's household financial picture. But what to do about it? And quiz shows The Duke and a Children's Victorian Tea highlight March events and programs at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Is it just me or is it hard to believe that we are into the third month of the new year already? It seems like only yesterday we were watching the ball drop as the Buckeyes lost to Georgia in the college football <laughs> playoff. It just seems like yesterday. And here we are, the 1st of March already. So welcome to a new month so this is the deal dictionary.com has added more than 300 new words to their database of the english language they have also uh revised or added 1200 definitions to existing words um so what i thought was interesting and there are you know far too many to go through the list if you're interested, you can look it up. But what I thought was interesting was the words that various news outlets chose to highlight in their headlines on this story. For example, uh, CNN highlights the new words pinkwashing, trauma dumping, and queer baiting. So that's in their headlines uh, on the, on this story. The new words uh, added to dictionary.com. Meanwhile. Uh, USA Today highlights hellscape, petfluencer, and deadass. <laughs> All right. And the CBS News story on these new words um, highlight petfluencer, uh, which is the same, same as uh, USA Today, and rage farming. So those were just uh, some of the uh, new words that, those news outlets chose to highlight in their headlines. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know know what it says, but it's just kind of an observation there. Again, you can look it up if you're uh, curious to know what all of those new words are. So this will definitely cause some buzz. And right out of the gate, we like to highlight some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. To start your day is the first things you need to know because you need to know what people are going to be buzzing about today when you go into work and you're standing around the water cooler, you're having your conversations in the lunchroom or whatever. uh, These are the stories that folks will likely be buzzing about. Or if you want to start a conversation, (laughs) these are some of the stories you can bring up. The state of Oregon is now considering a bill to give homeless and low income people a thousand dollars a month in universal basic income. The bill is the latest, looking to give handouts to people in uh, UBI programs, universal basic income programs. Now these are 
I, I would say primarily in blue states, but I think they're exclusively in blue states. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a red state that is even considering something like this. According to the legislation, it would provide 12 monthly payments of $1,000 to individuals who are experiencing homelessness, are at risk of homelessness, are severely rent-burdened, or earn at or below 60% of the area's median median income. The bill would require a study on who is receiving the money, broken down among a few demographics, including race, uh, risk of domestic violence, veteran status, and so on. And it would be a temporary program that would end in January of 2026. So it is kind of a pilot program, if you will, but... That will generate some conversation, I would think. A couple of the other uh, most interesting stories, buzzworthy stories of the day. I have found it interesting in the aftermath of the pandemic, uh, all of the stories kind of evaluating everything that we went through in sort of a postscript on the pandemic. And a new study, this is uh, published in the... Journal Frontiers of Psychology. Frontiers of Psychology. One of my favorite publications. (laughs) Uh, This study finds that people who consider themselves attractive were less likely to wear masks to prevent the spread of (laughs) COVID-19. The researchers asked more than a thousand participants to evaluate their own attractiveness and also asked how likely they were to wear a mask. Those who ranked themselves as attractive were less likely to wear a mask, and those who considered themselves unattractive were more likely to mask up. (laughs) The findings suggest that mask wearing can shift from being a self-protection measure to a self-presentation tactic in the post-pandemic era, according to the authors of the study. My face is too beautiful to cover up. <laughs> I love it. Mm. Ready? <laughs> okay. Now this story, uh, I was shocked. I was shocked, I tell you, to read this story on the Newswire. Researchers from Brigham and Women's Hospital have found an alarming amount of sleep disorder misinformation floating around on YouTube. Uh, The uh, team at Brigham and Women's Hospital searched for keywords like insomnia and sleep tips and compared popular videos with credible sources. The videos averaged 8.2 million views, but expert-led videos averaged only 300,000 views. Of the most popular videos, a shocking 66.7%, so two-thirds, contained either commercial bias or the promotion of a product or service at the expense of accurate medical information. Accurate medical information. Uh, The author of the study, Rebecca Robbins, said people today often want very bite-sized pieces of information. However, science is a fundamentally more nuanced, uh, science is fundamentally more nuanced than a one-liner 
or the 280 characters in a Twitter post. I saw that story and I was just shocked to learn that there is misinformation on YouTube. I, who would have thought? Who would? Who could have imagined that there was misinformation online? I'm just... Man, I don't know what to say. I'm left speechless by that revelation. <laughs> Startling, isn't it? Uh, okay. You know, we're going to the moon soon. We're going back to the moon and maybe beyond. But there's uh, a lot of talk about the possibility of creating a permanent colony on the moon, right? So with that in mind, the European Space Agency wants to give the moon its own time zone. This actually sounds like a logical thing to do. This week, the agency said space organizations around the world are considering how best to keep time on the moon. The idea came up during a meeting in the Netherlands late last year with participants agreeing on the urgent need to establish a common lunar reference time. Um, this was uh, according to Pietro Giordano, who's a navigation systems engineer for the European Space Agency. He says a joint international effort is now being launched toward achieving this. And I guess that's one of those things I never really thought of. I'm glad that we have smart people who are thinking of this because, yeah, it makes sense. If we are going to colonize the moon or we're going to spend any significant amount of time on the moon, then we need a way to keep time. Here's the thing, and this would be my only suggestion. Let's not do the daylight saving time thing on the moon. Can we, can we just agree that we're not going to do that? <laughs> I don't care how you decide to classify time or what time zone you set the moon to, but let's not do the daylight savings time thing. We have a, a clean slate on a new planet. Let's not muck it up, you know? And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, here is what we are concerned about today. And this is actually a good thing to know. Uh, while apps, I mean, we use apps for everything these days, right? On our smart, smartphones and, you know, our tablets, you know, our devices, we use apps every day. World revolves around them these days. And while apps dealing with banking and online shopping have to be secure by their very nature, a new study from the University of London has found that the increasingly popular smart tech for your pet does not boast that same kind of protection. And that can leave you vulnerable to hackers and other bad actors via these gadgets and or their linked apps. They say as technology for pets booms with items such as smart tracking collars and even automatic feeders... And we were talking about one of these just the other day. New GPS-based uh, uh, pet containment system. Uh, you know, wireless fencing system for your dog. We were just talking about this. And so with these uh, high-tech gadgets for our pets, 
Analysts found that 21 of the 40 pet-related apps that they tested had poor password protection on the company's end, making it easier for cyber criminals to sniff out, no pun intended, the information of the users. And you would think, why do they steal our dog's identity? No, they can go back and steal your identity, get your personal information from the apps you have for your pets. Even worse, because many of these so-called smart devices can track the whereabouts of your pet, the poorly protected info and poorly designed apps can give the bad guys step-by-step access to your location, seeing as how you are likely the person who is walking your dog, right? So they can track you or tracking your pet. Also at issue is user error. While many people take their online safety seriously in other areas, they tend not to be as vigilant for their pet-related apps. Again, thinking, what what does my pet have to worry about identity theft? Well, it's not so much your pet, it's you through your pet's tech that you need to worry about. So that's actually really good information to know there. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your midweek Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny today, high of 64, partly cloudy tonight, low of 38. A suspect in a string of bank robberies in northwest Ohio, including ones in Hancock and Putnam counties, has been arrested. One of the banks, the 28-year-old suspect, is accused of robbing, is in Arlington, and we spoke with Lieutenant Seam of the Hancock County Sheriff's Office about the importance of this arrest. Well, I think it's important for the safety of the community. Uh, I think it shows what great agencies that we have here in northwest Ohio and how we were able to uh, work cooperatively. and We were able to share notes and, and work together to get this guy off the streets. The suspects accused of robbing banks in Hancock, Putnam, Wyandotte, Seneca, and Fulton counties in December and February. You can see his mugshot on our website. Crews from the National Weather Service are determining if tornadoes cause damage in different parts of Ohio. Crews fanned out over southwest and central Ohio, and the National Weather Service now confirms it was a tornado that caused damage in Middletown, about 40 miles north of Cincinnati. Earlier, they confirmed a tornado touched down in Pickaway County, where at least two trailer homes were flipped in Orient, roughly 20 miles south of Columbus. Kate Burdett, ONN News. The cleanup and testing continues in East Palestine, Ohio, several weeks after that toxic train derailment. Governor Mike DeWine says the process of the sediment washing is now underway. This is to help clear away the contaminants that may have settled to the bottom of waterways. Also, a second set of testing on private water wells showed no harmful levels of contamination. And final necropsy results on wild animals that died also showed no chemical toxicity to support a cause of death. I'm Angela Ann. Finley Brewing Company says it'll be hosting the world's first and only beer-fueled Scrabble tournament. Proceeds from the tournament will benefit the Jerry Sisser Memorial Scholarship Fund at the Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation. Sisser was an educator for more than 35 years, and the event combines a few of his favorite pastimes as he was a skilled Scrabble player as well as an aficionado of good cocktails and beer. Get more details on the tournament on our website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
So at a time when many companies are operating with scaled back staffing levels, either because of the tight labor market or out of economic uncertainty or both, maximizing productivity then becomes priority number one. For managers who find that to be a challenge, our next guest says it may be because your employees are stuck in their lower brain and it's up to you to change that. Dr. Michael Frasina is author of Leading with Your Upper Brain, How to Create the Behaviors that Unlock Performance Excellence. Dr. Frasina, what do you mean by this lower brain, upper brain terminology? Explain that for us. Certainly. Uh, the key is to understand that for far uh, too long, we put too much emphasis on uh, outcome at work, key performance indicators, fulfilling strategic plans, on technical skill development, someone's talent, their intellect, the competency and certain technical skills that they display. And what we really need to worry about is whether the software that runs their brain is working in such a way so their brain is working uh, to a way that they produce the outcomes by connecting the plan and engaging the plan to give outcomes that the leaders desire. And you really have two operating softwares. You have a software built for performance and well-being and you have a software that's built for managing threat and threat survival. And in the, the human development over the span of time, the uh, need to survive is greater than the need to perform and achieve. And so when we're in a work environment, and this is induced by constant exposure to negative threat, uh, we need uh, some degree of stress, Chris, to get motivated to do something. Right. Everybody's familiar with the term burnout. But most people don't know the term bore out or boredom out. And that is, if you can't get motivated, if you can't get connected to something with meaning, value, and purpose, then you never get performance to start with. And so you need some jumpstart of positive stress to get people engaged and get them motivated and get them up to a peak performance curve on a bell curve. And this is science going back to Yerksey Dodson in 1908. So it's not new science, it's just science we've forgotten, we stopped to, to apply. Yeah. But the complexity of the nature of the current workplace, the dynamics of stress through COVID have uh, brought an attention back to the fact that if a human brain doesn't function the way the brain is to function to, for performance rather than just survive, then you don't get any productivity, you don't get any initiative, you don't get creativity, and you lose a sense of, of meaning, value, and purpose in people's work. Yeah. So what we've so done is we've identified what the key elements are of the upper brain physiologically and what the key elements are of the lower brain physiologically. And for fun, we like to call this neurochemical bartending. If a leader <laughs> knows how to mix the right drink in somebody's head, mm. they'll follow them anywhere. Yeah. They'll engage the plan and they'll produce outcomes and key performance indicators at a very high level of excellence performance output. So uh, just to underscore uh, what you were talking about uh, at, the, at the outset, and, and I want to make sure that people understand this, not that it's not that outcome isn't important, but if you have the right ingredients to use your analogy, then the outcome part will kind of take care of itself. Is that basically what you're saying? That's correct. If yeah. people are waking up, uh, and, and getting ready to come to work, and they're coming to work with a mindset of surviving rather than performing, then performance will suffer. People will do the minimum amount of work necessary to keep their jobs and stay out of trouble and go home and look for meaning, value, and purpose someplace else and not do it in a fully engaged state in the work that they're doing and finding so, the meaning and value and purpose in their work. So, and one of the key determinants to whether you get up and go to work in your upper brain or lower brain 
is the behavior that you experience from your leader. Individual leader behavior. Chris, this is the fundamental premise that we've proven scientifically, uh, and we've been doing 10 years of research before we published this book. Individual leader behavior is the singular most important predictor of how a team will perform. So I want to uh, key in on that here in just a moment. But before we get to that, what are some of the telltale signs that my people are stuck in this lower brain mentality? The first behavior that you would notice as a leader is they go along to get along. They're not giving you uh, their uh, honest opinion about the way the work is going, how this project is moving forward, impediments and obstacles that are getting in their way. Essentially, they stop telling leaders the truth about what they're experiencing in the day-to-day workplace that are impediments to them performing and giving the leader the outcome they desire. The first one, they'll stop uh, interjecting in meetings, they'll go into a meeting and it's basically asking the boss, just tell us what you want and we'll go do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not inputting any sense of initiative. They're not displaying any behavior of creativity. They're not disagreeing with the boss. They're not pushing back against their leader uh, in ways that should signal to the leader that things are off course. They go along to get along. First one you'd want to look for as a leader. So then how do I move those individuals into their upper brain. You have some strategies that you lay out in the book and you say they are remarkably simple. Yes. The first thing is the leader needs to become self-aware of their own behavior. How am I behaving uh, to my team that's input that I'm getting this disruptive, dysfunctional output back from them? Uh, And so the, the leaders have been hearing now for close to a decade, and it certainly was emphasized during the pandemic period, are you growing in empathy as a leader? Are you looking at people and under uh, aware and developing a sense of social awareness to the way people look at work, the way their facial expressions work? Are they emoting joy in emotion at work? Uh, so you, you just start, first step is for leaders to become attentive. Pay attention to the way your people look and pay attention to the things that they're saying. That, that's the number one trigger. What individuals can do and what leaders can do as well is accept the fact that you have this distinction between an upper brain and a lower brain. And there are certain behaviors that the upper brain exhibits and there are certain behaviors that the lower brain exhibits. And they have to reduce the level of of stress, negative stress. Uh, If a leader can find a way to reduce the degree of negative stress in the workplace, it gives people the ability to come to work and recognize that they have lower brain triggers, what those lower brain triggers are and then manage them effectively to move back uh, to the upper brain. The lower brain exhibits fear, loss, and doubt. When an event happens, when we experience somebody in behavior, rather than say, why did this happen to me? Why does he or she behave toward me this way? You need to be saying, what happened? And as soon as you can change the question from why to what, Mm -hmm. you now go into a discovery mode that exists in the upper brain to start processing the event, processing the behavior and trying to make sense of it a way in which you can respond appropriately to it and stay upper brain rather than responding inappropriately or just simply reacting to it in a way that expresses fear, loss, doubt, and negativity. And then you just continue to spiral into uh, this dysfunctional element of the lower brain when you don't want to be there. Yeah. So the classic question, of course, and you were touching on this a little bit earlier, is how hard do you push 
your employees because you don't want to get into uh, a burnout situation. We've we've heard a lot about this trend of quiet quitting, which I think stems from workers who feel that they are being taken advantage of and not being appreciated and so on. They're saying, I'll give you the effort required, but I'm not going to go above and beyond without getting something in return. Is that lower brain thinking? It is because, again, notice how it's all about me and it's about my survival and it's about me getting what I think I need, want, or deserve. Uh, one of the linguistic signals, the language signals of the lower brain, it's all very self-focused. And people start talking uh, in terms of me, myself, I, rather than we. Yeah, uh, it, We're not a team anymore. It's just about me. I'm not getting mine. And so, these again, this is a linguistic trigger for leaders to pay attention to how does your team talk? What are the words do they use? Look at their behavior. And uh, again, the one thing that leaders need to do is not just become empathic, be sensitive to this emotional dynamic. You see, Chris, emotions exist to tell us how we feel about what we're thinking. So if I'm in negative emotions, mm-hmm. I have to be in negative thinking. If I'm in negative thinking, I'm in my lower brain and I'm going to produce negative behaviors. So... We change the emotion by changing the thinking. Instead of asking why, I ask what. And instead of asking why aren't I getting mine, what can I do to contribute to the performance of my team? What can I do to help my leader? Uh, it, the, the whole dynamic shifts in the way you think and talk. It shifts the way you emote. And then you can connect into your upper brain for your critical reason capacity, your creativity, your initiative, your innovation. And you start rediscovering meaning and value and purpose in what you're doing rather than simply focusing on what you think you are owed or entitled to or deserve. Uh, It is a terrific guidebook for managers who are looking to get the best out of their employees, their staff, and who may be struggling with this in today's environment. Again, it's called Leading with Your Upper Brain, How to Create the Behaviors that Unlock Performance Excellence. Dr. Michael Frasina is the author. And do you have a website where folks can get more information about the book? Uh, yes, they can go to the American College of Healthcare Executive website, uh, but they can also just email me directly at michael.persina, and that's spelled F-R-I-S-I-N-A at gmail.com. I set up a personal account for people to contact me directly on information about the book, questions that they have about it, michael.persina at gmail.com. Dr. Persina, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Chris, you're so kind, and I thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, you might have seen this a few days ago. Bankrate issued their annual emergency savings report, which says, among other things, that half of Americans have less savings today than they did a year ago. And nearly as many say that they have more credit card debt than emergency savings. Probably no surprise then that in a recent survey by Edward Jones, two out of five Americans say that they don't feel financially stable. Scott Toma is principal of client needs research at Edward Jones with us this morning. And Scott, you probably point to any number of reasons for all of this. But in the end, the reasons matter less than the reality that many of us don't feel financially stable because, in fact, we probably aren't very financially stable at the moment. 
Well, I think it's a great point, but at the same time, I would point to the fact that within the survey, we did find that 90% of individuals believe financial wellness is something that's critically important. So right. perhaps the first step is understanding where we are today, and then the next step is, then, okay, well, then what do we actually do about it to start to improve that situation? Yeah, I, that was one of the points that I did want to make, that uh, it's not to say that Americans don't recognize the importance of this, which your survey demonstrates pretty clearly. What else does the survey tell you about how Americans view their financial wellness at this point in time? Let's say financial wellness takes many forms. So one of the first things we want to understand is what does being financially well mean to you? And so what we found from there is individuals point to things such as being able to cover their monthly bills and not have any anxiety being able to pay off debt, being able to help their family if needed. So it's being able to really have that sort of security and stability on the foundational side and then having some additional flexibility if needed. And oftentimes that flexibility or at least a feeling of flexibility can come from having that emergency fund in place to be able to cover the unexpected. So the question then becomes, how can we do better? And I thought this was interesting, this statistic that 79% of those who use financial advisors have an emergency savings fund of at least $1,000 compared to only 36% of those who do not use a financial advisor. That's a big difference. Clearly, having an expert in your corner, as it were, has a significant impact on the success of a financial wellness strategy. It certainly does. And I think many individuals might look and say, well, I don't have my finances in order. I'm going to wait till I get my finances in order, and then I'll go reach out to a financial advisor. And that's like saying, well, I need to get healthy first before I go visit a doctor. The financial advisor who's somebody who can actually take an objective, look at your finances, see where you are, and be really that counselor who can work with you over time to get to where you need to be. All of these things we're talking about, like an emergency fund, like paying down debt, that doesn't happen overnight. And the financial advisor is somebody who can help you put a strategy in place to not only say where you are today, but here are the steps we can take together to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I think the the point here being that many many of us think of financial advisors as somebody you go to to help plan for retirement, which is uh, or or at a very minimum long term goal like that, which is certainly true. But again, you can help uh, build. Uh, you know, that foundation uh, for the more immediate needs and, and concerns that individuals have. Now, obviously, as we always say with the finances, everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. But in general, what is the first thing that a financial advisor such as yourself is going to tell someone about how to improve their financial wellness, especially amid uh, these uncertain economic times like we are seeing right now? Well, let's say a couple different things are going to start out with. The first, as I mentioned earlier, is to look at their current financial situation today and try to look at where they are and what are the things they're trying to accomplish. And retirement, as you mentioned, may be one of those, but we are going to look and see if they have that foundation in place, which is that emergency fund. Our recommendation is you have between three to six months worth of living expenses to be able to cover emergencies. And so what we are going to do is to be able to help prioritize the different objectives that you might have. It might be paying for retirement or education goals. It might be to pay down debt. It might be an emergency fund. 
One of the things we can do is look at all of those different things we're trying to do and build a strategy to be able to make progress on each of those over time. And then what are some of those strategies that you might advise a person to use to help build their emergency savings? Let's highlight a few. Number one, if you're working, a great opportunity would be able to take your paycheck and have a direct deposit directly from there into an emergency fund. Do that automatically. Have a small amount come out every single month and have it automatically go so where you're not even seeing the money go to an emergency fund. The second thing would be we're in tax season right now, and many individuals are likely going to be receiving a tax refund. Take that tax refund and make that be the down payment towards building that foundation for your emergency savings. And the third thing would be taking a look at your budget. Actually see where you're spending money each month. You might be surprised to see where your money is going, and that might highlight some opportunities to be able to start making progress towards an emergency fund as well. Is there uh, anything else that, uh, in terms of the message that we want to send to, I mean, again, clearly, uh, all of these surveys, yours uh, included, point to the fact that people are, a lot of people are are just very unsure right now. They're concerned. uh, They may be a little bit fearful. What can you say to those uh, individuals to maybe provide a little bit of reassurance that, yes, we are going to get through this. We can get through this. And, you know, it's, it's not maybe as, as dire as, as some might think. Well, the two things I would highlight. First and foremost, every single recession we've ever had for the economy, and I'm not saying we're in one now, but if we are, right. every single recession has been followed by an expansion. Every single one's been followed by a recovery. So I would point to that first. The second thing, is that, that thing I would highlight is, The solution oftentimes for uncertainty is information. So if you are concerned about your financial situation, you are concerned about the economy, that's why financial advisors exist. That's what Edward Jones does. It's helping people take that uncertainty and turn it into opportunity. How many times have we heard that saying, knowledge is power, and it really does uh, apply here that knowledge is empowerment. Scott Toma, again, is principal of Client Needs Research at Edward Jones. We mentioned the survey and uh, all of this data. If folks want to look at that or get more information, where's a good place to start? You can go to our website. It's edwardjones.com slash financial wellness. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The governor of Tennessee has some splaining to do. Have you heard about this story? Tennessee Governor Lee is dismissing a picture from 1977 that appears to show him dressed in drag <laughs> uh apparently this has been making the rounds since the state of tennessee proposed a bill to ban drag shows and cabaret performances in places where children might see them <laughs> this week governor lee was shown the photo of himself and asked about it he responded by calling the reporter's question ridiculous saying that it's being conflated to sexualized entertainment in front of children, which is very, which is very serious subject. I would agree, but um, <laughs> that's not a good look. You know, it's just not a good look. <laughs> Governor dressed in drag. 
Um, at least it was from 1977 when presumably he was not governor. I mean, if it were from like last week, that would be that would be a different matter. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news. This is today's unusual Florida story. It always seems like we have something coming out of the state of Florida. A woman by the name of Christine Zervos is in trouble with the law, accused of running over her boyfriend after a night of drinking. (laughs) Uh, Police say Ms. Zervos was driving a pickup truck. Um, this happened, by the way, in Tarpon Springs, just outside of Tampa. She's driving a pickup truck when she crashed into her boyfriend while he was riding motorcycle. There's no word. It doesn't say in the story whether police believe she did this intentionally or whether this was an accident. What they do say is that alcohol was a factor. Uh, Ms. Zervos had been charged with DUI. Uh, no word on the victim's condition. He was rushed to the hospital. But... <laughs> I would imagine uh, his, I don't know his condition, but his status is probably now single, I would think. I would think. uh... (laughs) You could just break up with him. You know, you don't have to run him over. Um, Police in Wisconsin, this is all kinds of weird. Police in Wisconsin are looking into a case sparked by a viral video that appears to show a car salesman relieving himself on a woman's driver's license in the social media post the victim whose name was not given said she left her id at a car dealership in kenosha over the weekend and this you know a lot of dealerships do this uh, if you want to test drive a vehicle they make you leave your license figuring you're going to have to come back for your license and if you don't they have your license and they can track you down so uh, in any event, she left her license, took the vehicle for a car drive, uh, took the vehicle for a test drive. A few hours later, she was horrified to see a video of someone, you know, peeing on it. And this was making the rounds on social media. It is unclear if anyone will be held accountable, but on the upside, the dealership wants to offer the victim a free car. So. <laughs> I suppose there is that. I don't know. Here's the thing. When I read that part of the story, I thought, you know what? If somebody wants to relieve themselves on my driver's license for a free car, I think I'm okay with that, you know? Uh, Let's see. The international file of the broken news here. In France... Police found 850 kilos of cocaine on the shores of Reville. Is that how you pronounce it? Reville, France? Uh, This happened on Sunday. The drug was found in two large packages. By the way, 850 kilos translates to 1,800 pounds. More than 1,800 pounds of cocaine. It was found in two large packages connected by a rope. Uh, Officers are unsure if the drugs fell off of a ship or were floated to shore for the purpose of someone to come and pick up. Um, Packages have been known to wash up in the area, but never in such a large quantity. I'm thinking movie idea. Cocaine jellyfish. (laughs) Yeah, They've got that, that new movie. Uh, in theaters, cocaine bear. This would be cocaine jellyfish. Cocaine shark. 
that'd be scary. Uh, let's see. What else is going on? The broken news. A viral prankster has gained millions of views on TikTok after posting a video of his parents' kitchen thoroughly covered in peanut butter. Uh, Corbin Millet, whose profile consists of multiple videos of him pranking his parents, has gained over 38 million views on his most recent prank, the caption, Covering My Parents' Kitchen in Peanut Butter shows a before shot of a normal-looking kitchen, only to have it then cut to almost every square inch of said kitchen, coated in a thick layer of light brown, creamy peanut butter. Even the light fixtures and appliances coated in peanut butter. He said it took seven hours and 28 pounds of peanut butter to pull off the prank, Took him about four hours to clean up the mess by himself since he covered all of the crevices in the kitchen with it. I would kill my kid. Uh, even the appliances? Are you kidding me? All for 38 million views on TikTok. Wow. I would disown my kids, I think, if they did that. My goodness. That's from the category of what in the world are you thinking? And finally, in the broken news this morning, and this is a fabulous story. I love this story. Big thumbs up to the pilot of the EasyJet flight that was uh, going from Iceland to Manchester, England. The pilot did a U-turn over the Atlantic Ocean not because of a disruptive passenger or any problem with the plane or anything like that. Instead, the maneuver took place so that passengers could see the northern lights. The flight made a 360-degree turn to ensure that people both on the left and the right side of the plane could enjoy the Aurora Borealis. Adam Groves was one of the passengers on the plane who bragged about the very kind pilot for allowing everyone to see the ultra-rare display. He said, we took off, and halfway into, the, uh, halfway into the flight, the pilot turned all the lights off and said that they could see the view out the left window. But Adam said, we were sitting on the right-hand side, and so we couldn't really see it very well. So after a few minutes, the pilot switched back and did a 360 loop around for everyone to see. Uh, Mr. Groves, by the way, was on the flight because he got engaged while he was in Iceland. And he said he and his new fiance Jasmine, spent their entire trip trying to find the Aurora Borealis. Didn't see it while they were in Iceland, but they saw it on the plane. And, I mean, that, that really is cool. A, a spokesperson for the company EasyJet told, the, uh, told news reporters, Our crew will always go above and beyond for our customers. We're delighted to have been able to share this special view with them. And uh, I to see the Aurora Borealis is really cool. I mean, I would love to go uh, up into, you know, Scandinavia and Iceland, someplace like that, to see the Aurora Borealis at some point uh, in my life. But to see it from the air must be just an incredible view. You know what I mean? That's just got to be... Wow. How many people get to do that? in their lifetime. There you go. 
Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Finley's Andy Ritz on becoming a Finley Rotarian. After 35 years working as a pediatrician in Finley, I wanted to give back to the community, but not at my job, but as a service that would reach many people. The best way to do this was for me to join Finley Rotary, and that's what I did in February of 2022. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, contact Finley Rotary at FindleyRotary.org and click on Join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this is kind of a uh, follow-up postscript uh, item that kind of goes hand-in-hand with our conversation earlier about leading with your upper brain and those strategies for managers to get the best from their uh, work uh, staff. Um, With the economy still shaky and inflation high, and a lot of companies that have been belt tightening in the form of layoffs, trimming their staff. It always happens when there's an economic downturn or fears of an economic downturn. But a new study shows that layoffs are contagious. Research of some 17 million employee records analyzed by the human resources company Vizier notes that when a company starts terminating employees, even those who survived the layoffs will, in many cases, end up jumping ship on their own. In fact, they found that there is a 7.7% higher rate of employee turnover. These are employees who weren't terminated in a downsizing process. Employees who were not terminated who then quit in the wake of company-wide layoffs. 7.7% higher rate of that kind of turnover. Uh, Andrea Durler, researcher with the company, tells Business Insider, if you're doing layoffs, you might as well add between 7% and 8% to your count who are likely to leave as well as a result. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at it. If you're uh, reducing your staff deliberately by, say, 10%, then you can add 17 or 18, uh, 8% to that figure that you're going to reduce, you're actually going to reduce your staff by something like 17 or 18%, uh, even though you're only laying off 10% of your workforce. Some of the reasons an employee may be stuck with terminated employees' workload and that increased workload is something they are pushing back against, so they just quit and find another another job. And remember, the quits rate right now, especially in this particular dynamic today, the quits rate is still very high. There's still an awful lot of jobs out there. So employees are probably more likely to jump ship now, given the current economic conditions, than maybe they would be in some other similar environments. But uh, if you're sticking someone else with the terminated employee's workload, they may not like that, decide to chuck it, Uh, decide to bail themselves. Um, A layoff may put an employee under the supervision of a manager that they don't like if you let go of a manager that they did like. So that could be a reason. Furthermore, layoffs are traumatic and may lead some of those who avoided the acts to fear that they will be the next to fall 
in the next round of layoffs. And so they may leave on their own ahead of that. A company laying off employees can also send a message about the company's overall stability. And a uh, worker may say, hey, this company isn't stable. Maybe now is a good time to go and find another position at a healthier company. That may or may not be accurate, but that's the mindset. And then there is also the matter of survivor's guilt. An employee may just feel bad that a colleague and perhaps a friend got a pink slip, but they didn't. And so they may hand in their resignation in solidarity, if you will, out of guilt. And again, because jobs are rather plentiful right now, you're more likely to see that as well. Sarah Sisser is here with a rundown of what's happening at the Hancock Historical Museum in the month of March. Things really start to pick up here. We've got a brown bag lunch lecture tomorrow, right? That's right. It's, so always it tomorrow. The, yes. <laughs> Before right. you know it, it's First, Thursday. Yeah. I, I've been struggling with this all day that we're already into in the March. third month of the year. Isn't it crazy? Uh, yeah. No. That's nice like, that we're welcoming it with some warm weather. Too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, so yes, tomorrow is brown bag lecture and we have with us Dr. Chuck Coletta and we actually had him uh, towards the end of last year as well. He usually is with us at least once a year, and he's just a wonderful speaker. He's a professor of popular culture at Bowling Green State University. He's just got a wide uh, variety of topics he can speak to, and tomorrow he's going to be discussing um, the quiz show scandals of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting because in recent years, uh, quiz shows, game shows, uh, those types of things yeah. uh, have kind of made a comeback. I mean, they're much different now than what they used to be. But Yeah, and those dating shows and things like that. Yeah, yeah I think people are still entertained by that. But it was interesting in the in the late 50s how those scandals kind of revolutionized television, especially mm-hmm. especially since television was still relatively new and right. its influence on American culture was still and, relatively and new. And really, it was, it was kind of interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this, the mindset of the producers were not necessarily, in many cases, out to deceive the public. They had an, uh, the mindset that this was entertainment, and it wasn't uh, about the... Uh, con- the the contest itself, they were there right. to entertain. Well, and there were no rules, right? Yeah, so it was still sort exactly. of the Wild West at that time. Exactly, because the medium was so new. So, yeah, should be a really fascinating uh, topic. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, Dr. Dr. Chuck is a pretty interesting fellow. So you'll yeah. definitely um, want to take part in that. It's just a great way to spend your lunch hour. Um, that's at noon tomorrow. It is always free for museum members. It's just $3 if you're not a member. And we encourage you to arrive a little bit early just to get a good seat. Um, and give us a call if you're coming, if you can. It's Reservations aren't required, but it's nice for us to get a head count. Yeah. Uh, so that is tomorrow. And then you do have a classic movie night coming up uh, this month. We do. And um, we're not doing that exactly monthly this year. We're going to do six classic movies this year. Um, but we're happy to have one in March. And that'll be Friday, March 17th. It'll be The Quiet Man. Um, and Classic Movie Night is always free and open to the public. If you've not been before, it's just a great way to spend the evening, uh, a nice date night. We have refreshments. You can BYOB. Um, You'll get a little bit of a history lesson before the film and then enjoy a great movie. So uh, is there any particular reason this uh, particular film? I mean, it's John Wayne and, you know, 
John Wayne is a lot of movies. So what made this one stand out? I think the logic would have to be Joy Bennett, our curator and archivist who does classic movie night. So you'll have to come and hear from her. Why why this movie? Why now? All right. Very good. So, uh, but it is a a great film. Again, if it's one that you've never seen or haven't seen for a long time, uh, come Come on by. Join us. Yeah. Uh, and then also coming up in the month of March, you have a uh, Victorian tea. We do. We have a great children's program that we do um, at least once a year. And this is a really fun experience for the kids. We really um, sort of go all out and they're served by our Victorian ladies, a wonderful group of volunteers who dress the part um, and spend a lot of time and put a lot of effort into making this just a picture perfect event for the kids. Um, scones and all of the um, things you might expect from a traditional Victorian tea. Um, the tea itself. And of course, if the kids want to bring a doll, we treat them to a wonderful day as well. So we have just a few seats still available for that. Of course, the kids um, need to come with an accompanying adult. And it's just, uh, if you're a museum member, $35 for the pair. um, And if you're not a member, $40 for the pair. And like we said, there are a few tickets left. Uh, The date on that is? Saturday, March 18th. And that is from 11 to 1. And you um, get a a fair bit of food so it's a nice yeah. light lunch essentially and, and uh we definitely get to tickets sooner rather than later yes because... we are we are close to selling out for yeah. that one um so those are really the highlights of the events coming up in the month of march anything else to put on folks radar you know, we have a busy calendar coming up this year. As always, we have lots of great events, especially the second half of the year. But in April, we're going to have a great um, Earth Day celebration. So, of course, okay. our education coordinator, Deb Wickerham, comes from a science background. and She was an elementary science teacher. Um, and so any opportunity she gets to kind of combine history with those STEM disciplines, mm-hmm. she loves that. So we're going to do some fun things with Earth Sciences and and tie that in with history as well. So look for that um, next month. That'll be towards the end of April. Okay, so uh, we'll look at, and the museum is open. And again, because we're still relatively early in the year, that was again, third month, hard to believe. But uh, if folks haven't had a chance to uh, stop by, uh, the uh, museum is open. Yep, our regular hours were open Wednesday through Friday from 10 to four, and then Sundays from one to four. And truly, if you've not been to the museum in a while, um, stop by, there's so much to see. And people are often surprised at how large our campus is, how much there is to see. Yeah. Um, we have some great exhibits up right now on the 1960s rock and roll bands that were here and the venues they played at in the 1950s in Finley. So a lot of people can remember those eras um, and there's some good nostalgia there as well. All right. Uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about all the things that are going on at the Hancock Historical Museum. And again, Sarah Sisser with us this morning with an update on what's happening. Sarah, thanks very much for dropping by. We thank appreciate you, Chris. it. And with that, we finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net for that and much more. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it is always a flipping good time. We've got details on this year's Kiwanis Pancake Day event. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.